So in this episode of The Golf Guy, we have a conversation with Kevin Gigax, who is the executive director of the SCGA Foundation. Uh, you will hear, I think, um, not just the great things that the foundation does for juniors in Southern California, uh, but just the passion that Kevin brings to his job as executive director and, and really the tremendous uh, work they've done over the years. Uh, Kevin has been um, with the SCGA for, gosh, I think close to 15 years now. And um, uh, I think you'll find it interesting to see the way the SCGA goes about this charitable arm of, uh, of the organization and um, the way they take a somewhat different approach than the first tee, a complimentary one, and uh, really help to um, not just grow the game, but bring golf into communities and introduce it to people who, um, as Kevin will explain, would never give a thought about the game. Um, and so they really do great stuff. And, and uh, Kevin's a terrific guy. And I think uh, you'll enjoy the conversation. So coming up next on The Golf Guy. Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of um, The Golf Guy. Um, I am uh, my pleasure today to welcome um, Kevin Giga from the SCGA Foundation. Kevin and I gotten to know each other a little bit the last year um, and um, uh, want to talk about, of course, the foundation, but kind of how he got to where he is and some of the things that are going on in the world of golf. Kevin, thank you very much for making the time today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, Looking forward to it. Um, so uh, maybe just to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, I think you, you, you Colorado guy, if I'm remembering right, grew up in Colorado Springs. And um, uh, maybe just to get the ball rolling, uh, how did you first get interested in the game of golf? Yeah, it's a good question. I did grow up playing. I, uh, I grew up kind of with the belief that golf wasn't a sport I had access to. And I played basketball and baseball growing up. And some, I don't know exactly what it was, but I caught the golf bug in college. I, you know, somewhere I got a set of clubs. We'd go to the range. We'd go play the par three. We're terrible golfers, but we loved it. And that's how I, that's how I got into the game. I'm a late arriver. <laughs> so you played, just played in college, just kind of had fun playing in college, but you, it looked like, from what I could tell, that you got involved with the USGA, at least in some capacity, after college. So even though you weren't an early uh, golfer in your career, you got to start in college, you got must have gotten bitten pretty good by the bug, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's unusual for people to fall in love with the game. And in my time, it was, you know, 20, 21, 22, maybe, that I fell in love with it. I was a computer science major and was working for MCI WorldCom. Um, at the oh, wow. time. Okay. And so I had interned and I was computer science major and I was going to go do that. I had a job lined up and the last minute I found this USGA fellowship two years, you go work for the USGA and it's this, it's their nonprofit grants office. They were given at the time they were given $6 million a year in grants. And you just go in there with six, five other fellows per year. So there was, there was a two-year fellowship and six fellows per year. And you had this kind of junior golf, nonprofit, charity um, experience. And my parents thought I was crazy. Like, well, you have this great job at MCA WorldCom. What are you doing for <laughs> golf? And I went and did that and I loved it. I'd never been to golf tournament. The first golf tournament I ever attended was in Bethesda. It was the U.S. Junior Championship, the United States Junior um, 
and I, it was the first golf tournament I ever attended. So where was this fellowship? Were you at Far Hills, New Jersey, or where did you kind of, where, where were you doing it? It was in Colorado Springs. Um, a past president of the USGA, Judy Bell, who's just a legend of the game, first female president oh, of the USGA. For sure. It was, her, it was her vision, and she launched it, and she lived in Colorado Springs, and she actually ran, ran the office after her um, USGA presidency. She did this um, for a good stretch of time. She is an amazing woman. It was an amazing experience, and it was, it was out of Colorado Springs, but you traveled the country um, doing it. It was a, it was a blast. That's cool. Um, and and um, so did you go to a number of different USGA tournaments or kind of what how would you do during your year? No. So the USGA, that was kind of a benefit or a perk of the job. You got to gotcha. go to, okay. um, you got to go to some USGA championships. The core work was implementing USGA, um, the USGA's programs on the charitable side and giving grants. So they were given $6 million a year. The fellows processed all the grant applications implemented the grants, did all the follow-up for it. Um, so I had the Southwest region and I traveled to, I mean, I went to some great places. I visited a lot of first tee chapters. I went to a lot of boys and girls clubs at the time. There was a lot of programs trying to be started at boys and girls clubs, but all over, I mean, the smallest towns, biggest cities. It was, it was a fun gig. I bet. So, so, and I saw the first tee, so the first tee was, you were involved with that as part of this as well at that point, or was that, how does that fit into this, all this stuff? Cause I saw that as well. Yeah. So post USG, I knew it was a two-year fellowship and I was a computer science major. I went and did this golf thing and well, now what do I do? And so I, um, I had no idea. I had no plans. I didn't want to go to, at the time I wasn't necessarily going to go to grad school. Um, and the first tee at their national office had an opening, and I, I moved down to Jacksonville. Well, I, the, the job was in Ponte Vedra, or not Ponte Vedra, down in St. Augustine. But I moved down to Jacksonville to, to work at the first tee after the USGA um, gig, and I, I went down there for a while. Florida was, Florida was a different experience. It, it's, I, at the end of the day, I didn't love the job, and I didn't love where I was living. Yeah. So I was not there. I wasn't there long. I was there seven months. I was immediately studying for the GMAT because it just wasn't the right path for me. Right. And um, had had grad school all lined up. I was going to try and go to University of Texas. And um, as I was applying to schools, the SCGA ha has had this foundation, you know, since 1983, but I'd never had a staff person. And they had gotten to the point where they're like, if we're either all in or all out on the foundation, if we're all in, we got to bring in staff. Yeah. And so, um, you know, but they were still young. They weren't necessarily looking for a very experienced person. They didn't necessarily have the budget. And Jim Vernon, a past USGA president, said, you know, they have this fellowship program at the USGA. Why don't we look at one of, why don't we look at their alumni and see if anyone would be interested? And so a blast got sent out to the entire alumni and I was ready to go to grad school. And I flew out here and I was like, wow, I like LA and I still love golf. I'd love to give this a shot. I'll, I'll go do that for three or four years. And now it's 16 years later and I'm, I'm still at the foundation. So I never connected the dots. So I, you know, Jim, I know a little bit in fact, He's actually been on our podcast. Um, and um, I did not connect the dots and realize that was sort of how you got first connected with them. I mean, he was and is a tremendous guy, obviously became, um, I guess at that point, he's not only a year or two away from being USGA president, because I know he was USGA president when they had the open at Tory last time, you know, Tiger's famous victory, of course. So that's funny. I mean, the, the, the SCGA has been, I don't know if farm team is a bit of a strong statement, but it's been kind of a real good source for the USGA over the years, Jim being a good example, right? <laughs> Absolutely. There are a lot of employees that um, really started the USGA Boatwright program is a program that they fund 
AGAs to bring in young people as interns. A lot of them get hired full time, and a bunch of them have then gone on to the USGA. Yeah, there's a lot of former SCGA staff members at the USGA. That's funny. Okay, so you show up. It's 2006, right? And you show up at the SCGA. Never been out to California before, um, so you're living out here. Um, Tell me about what's going on at that point with the foundation and what your role was at that point. Sure, I will try not to be long-winded in this, but um, that's okay. Go ahead. We we started the foundation in 1983. A gentleman named John Argue, who many people will know, helped bring the Olympics. I think he's probably most famous for helping bring the '84 Olympics to LA. Was that was the president of the SCGA? And in 1983, was involved with the PGA Championship of Riviera and said, we should have a foundation. The SCJ needs to have a foundation. So um, the PGA Championship of Riviera was really the impetus. They gave us, I think, 25000 And they did the legal work to get our foundation up. And then it, it didn't do a lot for about 20 years. It sat fairly dormant. We provided some rules books to some juniors, but there wasn't a ton that, that really happened. And in 2002 led by a bunch of people at the SCGA, but I, I think a lot of credit goes to Ed Holmes. They spearheaded, hey, if we're going to keep the foundation, we need to do something with it. And so that led to some initial investment um, of a dollar per member for five years to kind of create a corpus to get the foundation off the ground. And then in 2006, they realized, okay, that's great. But if we're going to fundraise and have programs, you don't do that with just a corpus of money. You need staff. And that's how I got the gig is I, uh, they said, hey, we're ready to go. Let's get it started. Let's get it off the ground. So I joined in 2000, I believe it was 2006. And I was, I mean, I was really green. Right? Like I had never raised money. I'd worked in some junior golf for two or three years, but here we go. And I had this extraordinary board, Ed Holmes and um, Jim Vernon was involved. There was just a, a great number of, of wonderful people. Actually, I came on literally as Tony Thornley joined our board. Tony, you may know, was yeah. a board member at Callaway and was an yeah. interim CEO at Callaway. I just, I, I, it would be unfair. I, I will not name all the great people that are on the board. There's just so many. But we had this, cra- this incredible board and we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, just, we didn't have a plan. And they were very patient with me being a fairly young, early experience in my career, kind of finding my way. And, and, and we worked together to figure out where the heck should we go, right? In, in 2006, Junior golf was pretty healthy. We have first tee chapters. We have incredible, I mean, Southern California has incredible competitive junior golf organizations. They're all over. So that wasn't our space and first tee existed. And we just didn't know initially, it took us a couple of years to find our way. And we thought initially it was affordable access. Hey, what what we can do, what we contribute as SCJ is we can make golf more affordable and accessible. So we started um, SCJ Junior Youth on Course one to $5 green and range fees. We've been doing it since 2008. And it's, hey, give kids access. That is really important. And it is, it's absolutely, we're very committed to that part of it. At the same time, we started um, giving college scholarships. We started pretty small. Um, I think the first year we gave $15,000 to three three kids for scholarship. This next year we'll give probably 50 plus kids $200,000. So wow. it's, it's wow. grown. But we, and I told you, I tried not to be long in this answer, but I am. This is we great. Started with, we started Youth on Course in 2008, and we have been studying it and tracking it, every kid, every check-in, since day one. Wow. And what we really found uh, to kind of get us to present day is uh, there's kind of two, in our, my opinion, our opinion, I guess, two kinds of junior golf programs. There are programs that enable golfers, and there are programs that create golfers. 
And there's a lot of great enabling. We enable golfers, kids that are already in the game or have a way to get in the game and give them more opportunities. It's kind of easier work and it's more common in junior golf. Um, so we were enabling kids, right? If you played golf, if you had clubs and you knew how to go to a golf course, you were on courses, extraordinary. One, one $2 green uh, range fees and $4 green fees. Like, that's awesome. We're so glad we do that work. But what it taught us over time is, so fast forward four or five years, one, it's, it's not a very direct impact programming. So it was hard for us to raise money. Like, hey, you're giving scholarships to kids. That's awesome. And you're doing this and that's awesome. But you don't spend any time with the kids. So how are you impacting change on the kids? Um, and tied to that uh, was we were enabling golfers and we could see that in our stats, right? Most of the kids that played were from tournament organizations. It was like 75% boys that were members. Um, it was uh, very heavily and still is very heavily Caucasian and, and Asian juniors, which is great. We want to enable those golfers to play. But when we look at Southern California, the demographic, they don't, that's not what we look like. So we're not bringing enough new golfers in the game from all backgrounds. So fast forward to 2012, we dipped our toes in what we now call player and youth development. And the idea that we should go in as a nonprofit, we should go into places where golf's not going to naturally kind of develop and thrive. And that's where we can make our biggest impact. And so we do player and youth development right now. Um, seven facilities. We have an expansion plan to get out to 10 or 12 more. And what that is, is a holistic grassroots, everything you need to succeed in golf at a very affordable price. And it's serving um, a broader swath of the demographics that you feel like should be given the chance to play golf. So how are you reaching out to those people? I like this is very interesting. I like your di uh, dichotomy between creating versus enabling. Um, so if you're going to try to get into the creating, so you're dealing with communities that, you know, no access to golf, probably don't even think that much about golf, perhaps. I mean, how are you sort of, you know, creating um, interest in golf in those communities among our juniors? It's very, it's multifaceted. Uh, you know, going back to when we started Youth on Course, we thought fin financial barrier was the biggest uh, uh, obstacle, right? Like, hey, if you don't have the money for clubs and you, don't have, you can't afford to go play, then you're not going to play golf. And I look back and in my opinion, we were just wrong. Cultural barriers are the largest uh, impediment to start golf. Like you go, go to any school, right? Go to any school around here and ask how many kids want to go try golf. No one, that's not on their radar. Right. Um, right. I, I'm pretty sure LA 84 did a study several years back. Skateboarding is what you're going to hear about, right? Like, Hey, let's go skateboard. Or at least, at least the boys, I don't, maybe the girls do. Um, so cultural barriers are, in my opinion, the biggest barrier to golf. Like you said, like, how do you recruit kids to come play golf? That's not necessarily what they're looking to do. Um, and the way we do it is one, it's affordable, right? We have to be very competitive with other sports. It's hard to compete with skateboarding. All you need is a board, you know, like, right, right. that's hard to compete with. Um, so affordability is number one. Our programs are, are, um, very affordable and we provide financial assistance. So parents can't say, well, golf, you can't play golf because of the cost. Two is um, role models that look like the kids. So we have full-time instructors. That's critical. They're well-trained. They do, we do a lot of titles, performance Institute. We do some us kids golf training. Some of them are pursuing PGA and LPGA credentials. Um, so well-trained uh, full-time instructors are really important, but what's the magic for us is those instructors plus hiring part-time coaches from the communities we work in. 
So the kids that play high school golf or are playing college golf or just grew up in that community that look like the community, that's the cultural barrier breaker for us is like, hey, you look like me. You live down the road from me. I want to be like you. I mean, if you see our videos, you'll see kids talk all the time about, I want to be like Coach Andrew because, man, Coach Andrew went to the same high school as me and look at how good, I mean, look how many birdies he makes, right? So that's, that's number two. <laughs> like it's, the coaches are amazing and they, and they do a great job. And then, and then it's work. I mean, it's, it's, you, we need to be in the community all the time. It's community work. Um, so we do do outreach. We try to partner with schools. We try to partner with after school organizations. Um, but we just got to be there all the time. We got to be at the golf courses. And what works over time, where, where it takes off is parents, right? Because year one, it's hard to get a lot of kids in the program. It takes time. By year three, the parents said, you know what? Your kids should be in this program. These coaches care. It's a safe, fun place. My kids love it. And so if you look at our longest running, we call them communities. Our longest running community is Southeast Los Angeles. We're now at four golf courses. We're at capacity at all of them. Like we're trying to figure out how do we reach more kids? Cause more kids want in the program, but there's only so many hours of daylight with so many, you know, so much space for the kids at facilities. Um, and it's because parents are just spreading the word and it's just, it's got this amazing momentum. So what is it like if I'm a kid in, let's, let's continue with Southeast Los Angeles. So, I mean, how often are the programs held? I mean, what's it like to be in, in, in the program if I'm in it? I mean, what, am I playing? Am I getting lessons? What, 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 what's happening to me? What's my experience? So I mentioned before, our goal is to make it as holistic as possible. Right. So um, you're going to get everything. Hopefully you're going to get everything you need to be in the program. Um, we start with the, the first time you're going to sign up. You're going to come once a week for eight weeks and you're going to get a uniform. And you're going to get um, you're going to get the opportunity to be fit for clubs. If you want to buy clubs, we're fitting every every kid that wants to sign up sign up for get fit. We'll get you clubs. Um, you don't have to bring clubs though. We can just we have clubs. You don't have to have those. But you're going to get the uniform. You're going to come once a week, and you're going to be strongly encouraged to participate in other things. So the number one thing we another I guess thought we have on junior golf is it's the only sport that we can find where you sign up to practice. You never sign up to play right? Little league, you sign up for games and you practice. Tennis, you sign up for matches and you practice. Golf, you just sign up to hit balls, right? It's so strange. So in our eight-week session, we have four uh, opportunities for kids to go out and play. They're called game days or they're on Saturdays. They're free. Go play. We want you in the course as soon as possible. We don't care your skill level. Um, five to seven-year-olds um, start with snags. They start with the plastic clubs and the tennis balls. We're taking them on course too. We want you to understand that it's a game. It's not a practice. Yeah. So um, there's four game days. There's community activities, like we'll have holiday activities. We'll have summer barbecues. Obviously, with COVID, those have been adjusted some. There's girls' golf activities once a month. So, you know, Fridays or Sundays, we're having girls' outings. Um, anyone's invited, but it's specific to, you know, it's targeting girls. Um, so it's eight, it's eight weeks once a week, but there's this whole trying to build around making sure you have all the other things you need. And then if you get into it, right, most of our kids are beginners. They start as beginners. 70% of our program is beginners. But if you get into it, then we've got a pathway. You can assess your golf skill and move up levels. We have a nine-level system, very much following Titles Performance Institute's um, junior golf curriculum. So you can test up and take golf assessments. There's league opportunities. So you get to a certain level and you can play. We have a fall league. We play in PGA Junior League. Um, so we have league activities. One of the things we're, we're more looking at now is like a lot of the parents are like, tournament golf is so expensive. What can you do? So we're running a handful of tournaments. You know, we're not trying to replace all the great tournament enemies, the entities that exist. Um, 
but we also are trying to make sure that our kids who may have less um, resources have ways to get into competitive golf. Uh, and then kind of at the, the, toward the top of our pyramid is a program we've developed called APP, again, modeled after TP, TPI, but it's advanced player pathway. And that's kids that want to train and they come out and they're coming out for a couple hours. They're really working hard. It's a higher level um, of instruction. Um, so that's kind of the, the top of it. And through all of this, once they're above five to seven, we don't do one-on-one -on -one lessons, but above seven, if they want to take one-on-one -on -one lessons to the extent our instructors have time, we also offer um, some one-on-one -on -one, one, uh, instruction to complement, you know, all the other things that they're doing in the program. Wow, that's great. How's it been like getting facilities? I mean, there, a lot of these communities are not full of facilities. And I mean, frankly, Southern California, generally, given how expensive land is, it's not like there's a million courses to start with. I mean, what's that been like? It's a challenge. Everyone's unique. There's no, you know, there's no cookie cutter of, hey, here's a facility that's right for us. Um, the best facilities for us are short because at the end of the day, 70% of our kids are beginners and we believe getting on kids on course. So like in, in San Fernando Valley, it was our second community, if you will. We launched at Woodley Lakes. Uh, the, the practice field is amazing. It's very different than a lot of others because there's so much space. We can serve a ton of kids practicing. Right. We can't get them on course. The course is too big and it's full of adults. Right. So we actually right. go across the street to Van Nuys and we have a, there's a par three there that we can go play our game days on. Um, so they're all different. The, you know, the county, George Bedell, director of golf for the county, had a vision for a facility in Norwalk called the Kanabi Golf Center. And that's kind of, you know, that's the perfect scenario. It's a 600 yard par three, nine hole course. And it's meant for juniors. They create a ton of space for juniors. So there, we're there seven days a week. Classes are full seven days a week. Wow. Um, wow. But then, you know, as kids progress and they get at higher level, we do have some 18-hole facilities where we're taking advanced classes. And we even do beginner classes there because we have to serve the kids in the neighborhood, right? But they're all different. They all have different degrees of um, pressures on, you know, adult playing and adult space. Um size of practice areas you know if a practice area is too small we can only do so much and there's only so many classes we can run but right now one of our biggest challenges is lighting right so these facilities don't have lights but our kids aren't available till five so starting right. from like october through april we're paying for lights and we rent lights and we roll them out there it's, it's an wow. expensive proposition but you know i think at the end of the day one of the things we learned early on is you go where the kids are <laughs> kids aren't going to come to you for golf so you got to go where they are and you got to make do with the facilities that work the best. But our expansion plan really looks at what are the facilities where this work can be best done and served that, that um, wide swath of demographics um, and, and try to target it on, can we create a partnership to be at those facilities? Makes sense. Um, so, you know, you mentioned, I mean, 2006 is 15 years ago and you've learned all this stuff and doing this. How do you sort of assess the progress of, of the foundation and the work you've been doing? I mean, I'm not even sure what the right metrics are, but I'm sure you've thought about it. I mean, you know, kind of if you were to say, hey, let's take a look back. It's 2021, you know, been here 15 years. What do you look to to sort of say, well, yeah, this is, you know, look at A, B and C and that shows the progress we've made. It's a good question. That's when we when we uh, we think about a lot, actually. Um, so one more thing I want to mention about yeah, player and youth development. Another thing we measure, right? We're a nonprofit. To do this work, we have to go raise money. We are not charging the families what it costs. So the other element of our program um, 
if you go out and see class, you would appreciate it, but you wouldn't know how, what to name it, but it's positive youth development. So what we do is we train our coaches. Our coaches are in trainings quarterly. We do a lot of stuff with Positive Coaching Alliance, up to us sports and others to, to prepare our co coaches to be role models. Um, and then we assess it. So we have an in independent um, evaluator. She's now at the UC Santa Barbara Evaluation Center who understands how to assess programming and determine, are we making an impact? Right. And we make that impact through role models and those role models need to be trained uh, and it's working. So from a, how are we impacting kids measurement? We work with an evaluator. We know that our coaches are developing um, kids beyond golf. We, we, that's something we're very much focused on and seeing results um, with that. And so that's, that's a big part of our emphasis is, hey, this is more than golf. This is definitely more than golf. One of the things we learned from the evaluators, you know, there's this saying you hear all the time that golf develops juniors. And that is absolutely false coaches develop juniors i can show you a golf coach that will teach a junior to cheat and develop all kinds of bad you know negative youth development right. it's not it's, it's not the golf sport itself golf is the vehicle for great coaches to develop great kids um so uh that's something we learned along the way too is you know it's not golf that develops it golf's the vehicle um, it's these great coaches so we train them so that's one way we measure more of how are we impacting kids it's got to be beyond golf how do we measure like hey is our program good is it working one is who's checking in to play golf, right? I mentioned we have youth on course. We don't want to we don't want to move any of the kids that are playing out of it. We want to see it expand and grow right. and better reflect Southern California. So are there more girls playing? Are there more kids from uh, different uh, ethnic backgrounds? Because that's what Southern California looks like. So that's one measure. It's a big measure. It's a long term measure. Um, the shorter term measures are golf assessments. Like are these kids getting golf skill? Because we don't want to introduce kids to golf. That's not our game. If if, if you um, if you ask me what is, what's, what's the SCGA Junior Golf Foundation compared to other junior entities, we want to develop golfers. Introduction to golf, if that's where it ends, is not, it's not what we do. We want golf, kids to have access and have a long-term future in golf. So golf skill development is a critical measure. Are they getting better? Retention is a critical measure. We have to be realistic. Not every kid's going to want to play golf. Some kids are going to want to have a smaller relationship with golf, right? Like, hey, I played a little bit. I maybe played on my high school team, but I don't play college golf. But I'll bet I bet those kids will come back. Those are that's really hard to measure. How are we going to measure a kid coming back in twenty years to the game, right? But did they get the golf skill? Did they come away with golf skill? Is really important to us. That makes sense. Um, how do you, you know, we talked about first tee, you know, and I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with the foundation but know golf probably have heard about first tee. Um, how how do you guys mesh with that? How do you compare that? If I'm thinking about, you know, SCGA Foundation, First Tee, what are you guys doing similarly, differently? How do the two mesh, if at all? Yeah, that's probably the most common question I get. Uh, yeah, I, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of overlap. There's a ton of overlap, right? We do very similar things. We want to develop youth through the game of golf. We want to see kids play golf. Um, we also want those kids in first tee to be youth, our SCGA junior youth on course members. Like we have a relationship with every first tee in Southern California. We encourage them, hey, if your kids need access, we have SCGA junior youth on course. Get, get them in the program. Tell us what you need to get your kids in the program. So um, there's some reciprocal, not even reciprocal, but like there's an opportunity for, for first tee kids and our kids all to be an SCGA junior youth on course. On the more on the player and youth development side, um, we're doing very similar work 
And what I tell people is, man, golf's not touching the tip of the iceberg on how many kids are out there. So we're not really competing. We, right. There's not a shortage of kids. I mean, to some extent, there's there's some you know, there is there's overlap in fundraising, there's overlap in trying to be at facilities, but our relationships are very good with them. The first teams are all a little bit different. They operate, you know, it's a national organization, but they operate locally and, and the chapters are different. The one in San Diego looks a little different than Orange County than, than Pasadena. Um, so it, it's it's a little dangerous for me to say anything broad about first tees because they're all a little different. But I, I would say that we are probably generally, not always, a more um, we're a little bit more of a depth organization. They might be more of a breadth organization. They do a lot of work in schools, introducing kids to the game. We are very interested in like, can we be at a facility five, six, seven days a week? That's you know we want to be at the same facility all week long. Right. No, that 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 makes perfect sense. Um... What, um, put aside first tee for a second. I mean, SCGA is a pretty significant, I, I would argue probably with the Metropolitan Golf Association, maybe, you know, one of the two most significant low up state or local associations in the country. Um, wh what kind of interactions do you have with some of the other, maybe either Metropolitan, Northern California Golf, really any of them, or the other state associations, they look at what you're doing. Have they tried to sort of do similar things in, in their community? I mean, do you sort of have any interaction with those? How is this being done beyond just the SCGA, the type of work you're doing? Yeah, I, I, I can tell you, I mean, candidly, I don't interact a ton with the other uh, golf associations and their foundations. There's only a handful that are like really heavy into fundraising and then doing programs that are of a more charitable nature i mean a lot of them a lot of them are engaged with junior tour golf and that's certainly an important niche um so there but there's not a ton that are real similar to us the metropolitan golf association i would say the ncga so the ncga really launched youth on course locally we partnered with them early and we actually split for a while we just rejoined with youth on course but they are now doing that nationally so they're actually a great partner because there's a lot we can kind of interact and, and discuss and ping off each other because they're doing programs across the, the country for wow. access. Wow. Um, but I don't, I don't interact a ton with the other um, foundations, certainly more with the local first tees and kind of what the challenges they have. Uh, and probably more than anything with the people that are doing positive youth development, because that's really where we're measuring our, our success and what we're fundraising to. So um, groups that are, in that space are probably more common peer connections. Yeah, no, that makes, actually, that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, let me sort of ask you this. I mean, we've all been going through this horrible pandemic um, for seemingly, what is it, 21 months now? It's seemingly endless. Um, uh, hopefully we'll be out the other end soon. One of the things about the pandemic, just generally with golf is, it's been such a boom for the sport. Um, you know, it's sort of um, the ideal socially distanced sport, I guess you could say, right? And um, I just know the numbers of play, both at private clubs, public facilities, is just way, way up from what it was pre-COVID. Um, how has that impacted you guys, if at all? I mean, you know, have you seen that kind of growth? And, and, and I'm also kind of curious, just because you're in a good seat to sort of think about these things is kind of how do you sort of see that going forward if we've got all this increased interest in the game whether it's juniors or whether it's adults who may be people who would be 
you know, contributors to your program? I mean, how do you sort of see that momentum sort of um, hopefully being retained by the sport as we kind of get past it, past the COVID stuff? It's a big question. It, it is. <laughs> you can take it any way you want. Really, I know it is. It's a big question. So many things. So a, a couple of things. On the adult side, which is, you know, that I don't spend, I don't spend a ton of time thinking about adult golf, but I'm a very avid golfer, so right. you know, my experience. On the adult side, I think we have some challenges, right? You have all these new adults in the game. How are you going to keep them in the game? How do you keep them retained? Right. Right. I don't know. I think it would be really great if, if we help them develop skill, but that's a really hard thing to do. I'm not sure how you do that. The other thing I, I think that the SCGA can provide is get them into clubs, get them enjoying the experiences that come with playing with your buddies, playing in events, playing, you know, it, it, you know, I think sometimes people think of tournament golf is so intense, but you know, club golf is great. It's so much fun. So I think getting them, getting them a, a little more structure so they stay in the game is critical. Um, and then I think the other thing that the SCJ and other entities can do is like engage them, right? So uh, one of our staff members is really passionate about like engaging like creatives and young professionals that love the game with our foundation. So it doesn't have to be our foundation. It could be first tee, it could be other things, but like, is there a way to be further engaged in golf besides just when you go play your 18 holes, right? So, or your nine holes or whatever you play. Um, so I think engaging adults is going to be challenging. I certainly don't know the answers. Um, on the junior side, it's full of challenge right? Courses are more full and labor, labor yes. costs are going up. Water costs are going up, yeah. all these challenges. So creating space for juniors is a, is a reasonable challenge for operators and owners. And we have to work really closely with them to make sure we don't, that we create that space. And um, we've lost, we've, for our youth up course program, we've lost a lot of facilities who are just like, we can't carve out space for junior rates right now. No. It's, there's yeah. too, too much pressure, and too, much, too much financial pressure and, yeah. and too much demand. So, I don't have a solution there, but I think for us and for the SCJ, it's keep the lines of communication open, you know, try, try to be creative and create space, but it, we have to create space for juniors. And this is not really a COVID issue, but it, it's tied into the demand is create, keep golf courses open. Um, I don't know if you're tracking this bill that's in the California, uh, the California bill that wants to close golf courses for homeless. Yes. Um, yeah, I did. I've seen it. You, you have to bring our government affairs to talk through it, but, you know, the courses that close are generally the courses that are not high performers. And guess where, guess what? When I say high performance, high financial performance, that's where juniors play. <laughs> so no. so yeah. if we close those courses, the future of the game, you know, it will take years to play out, but you won't have the farm system that right. then drives kids or not kids, but golfers eventually when they start as juniors, that drives them to fill up the, the performing public courses, if you will, the ones that, that do really well. And then eventually private clubs and other places. So that that is my I, again, it's more in the government affairs department than it is in, in, in my department, but the biggest worry I have is if we don't have that access for kids and, and, and we look at closing those courses that are really the space, it's gonna be a huge I mean there's no solution. There's no coming back from that. No one's building beginner level golf courses. Um, so I think that's uh, I don't even know if that's COVID related, but it's when we look at how much demand we have for programming and trying to ramp it up and create, find space to get more kids engaged in the game, a facility closing is just, you know, it's a little oh, step back. No, it's, I, 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 I totally agree. Um, and um, I, I know I, 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 I'm generally, I'm not, I'm generally aware of that bill. I've, I've seen some stuff on it. I, I, um, I'm sure you guys are, you know, your government affairs people are all over that, but it's, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. 
Um, well, that's that's really neat. I mean, you've been I, the passion that you bring to this is evident. You know, when we talk, which is fantastic, and it's such a it's such a wonderful program. And um, I'm thrilled that we had a little time today to chat about it. This has been great. Um, and um, you know, I've I've been personally, you know, as you know, gotten more involved with the SCGA and. And looking to continue that, um, you know, I've, I've, I'm going to be part of the rating group with Doug Sullivan and, and uh, actually got my first rating. He just called me the other day. So I'll get my feet wet on that. And, and um, you know, we should let folks know. I mean, the tournament that you guys have every year is a fantastic event um, that you have in September. I think you were saying was, oh, you think it's going to be at El Cap next year? Is that is that? Yeah, our big annual tournament will be September 19th at El Cap this year. I think it's going to be exciting for our our people because Reese Jones just redid the course. Exactly. Just open, literally, so. I think it literally just opened. I saw the stuff yeah. on Instagram about it from the uh, from one of the pros there. I know that'll be exciting, but it's a great event. It's a great yeah. event. You always have Thank a great you. speaker. And I mean, it was fun having Dave Stockton this year, who was fabulous and stuff. So. Uh, but Kevin, I thank you so much for spending the time today. Really appreciate it. And um, I wish you a, a great Thanksgiving. I wish you one as well. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy okay, I'll, I will turn. Thanks.